everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk episode number 364. That's right, one one more and you can indeed listen to every single uh, episode apart from uh, on on a day of the of the year. Every day for a year. I guess if it was a leap year, you could as of today listen to every single episode, but um I think I've covered this before. I I, I feel like I'm repeating myself. It's what happens when you get to these high numbers. I, I, I'm frankly, I, I'm, I'd be very surprised if we haven't actually spoken about these topics uh, merely a matter of days ago, but I, I'm going to do my best anyway. Welcome, everybody, to Sonic Talk. I uh, want to say thank you very much to our sponsors. Obviously, Isotope sponsor the show. Uh, in fact, uh, if you've been a, a regular listener, you'll know that Isotope are being very generous. They're giving away a copy of one of their pieces of software every week at the moment, and uh, we ran a competition last week, and there's a winner for Isotope Iris, which is their spectral synth, and we're going to be announcing another competition this week where you can win yet another copy and um, it's all going jolly well and there are we're increasing the number of isotope users at one a month at least contributing to to users that's something isn't it anyway let's go back to our uh, our live guests oh I should say thanks uh, everybody in the chat room there we've got a nice fulsome chat room right Dave Spears G4 software he's right there in his synth cave with the lights on there's sunlight streaming through and everything I'm impressed with the blinds down. The blinds down. It's so bright. It's that make it dark and gloomy. Is that because you've got so many synthesizers in there? The lights are all on and they're just... I, I would have thought it'd be more of a blue or a redder haze if that's just synthesizer blinky lights. Light. No, I've turned everything off. Oh, with the exception of one of the new babies. Okay, that's then. It. Right, you're going to have to give us... As is traditional, for those, again, who haven't maybe perhaps listened for a while... Uh, every time Dave comes on the show, he tells us about something else he's acquired, and uh, I'm suspecting there may be more to come. So, Dave, what's going on in your uh, your synth collection? Anything uh, uh, thrilling? It's funny, you, you you saying about a collector or synth cave, I heard uh, myself referred to as a synthosexual the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hope that wasn't, I hope that wasn't by your wife. <laughs> yeah, she walked in at exactly the wrong moment. No, uh, <laughs> It's actually by somebody who works with us, and he uh, said I was putting up various posts on Facebook, and he's like, "Oh God, you know, you and your synthesexual mates." <laughs> so I went, "That's it now. That's it. it. That sticks." That sounds like the name for a plugin, if you ask me, or a, a large format, a large format pat bay, patch bay, even. Yeah, mm. I quite like the idea of that being the name of the studio. Synthesexual. Synthesexual Studios. Yeah. Uh, no, this is um. We finally managed to track down a Freeman um, string synthesizer. Wow. Which no one knows what that is, do they? I do. Uh, I know um, what a Freeman string synth is because you've, so, you've used one on your... Well, you've got one in your um, uh, um, VSL, haven't you? VSL, VSM, rather. Yeah. yeah. Even. Virtual yeah, string we machine. We wanted uh, a real one. We could only find one in the UK ages ago, and we managed to find this one. And amazingly, it turned up, and it all worked. And then on top of that, it's Profit 5, but we've now got a Pro 1. Oh, a really beautiful Profit 600 over there, mm. uh, which actually I really like. I know people go, oh, you know, it's the poor man's Profit 5 or T8 or whatever. And uh, But it's hot. There's something really hot about the signal. It's, it's, it's pretty gnarly. I like it. I like it a lot. Oh, well, I'm envious. Uh, what have I got? Um, 
Oh, uh, yes, I've got the Roland Ira, which I'm uh, going to be reviewing. I've also got uh, Trigger Finger Pro, which I'm in the process of reviewing. Um, I've got, oh yeah, this as well. I've got the uh, Soft Step 2 uh, right here, the KMI. Um, can't think of anything else. That's enough. That's, that's going to keep you busy for ages. Anyway, we've got another guest. We should talk mm. to him too. Robbie Bronneman from Robot Studios. Robbie, of course, Hello. music director, MD for Howard Jones, about to go on tour uh, stateside, I believe, and off on the road. If you've been following him on uh, uh, Twitter or Facebook or anything, you'll have seen he's been posting pictures of his amazing rig, which kind of fits together in a futuristic acrylic case with multicoloured lights. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed you're not wearing like a kind of, you know, a very sharp suit and a, and a pencil tie. That'll all come for the gigs. Is that I've what you're going to wear? Special. I've got special, something special. I'll grab it. Where? <laughs> I have... I oh have a my. test card jacket. Wow, that is awesome. Wow. Borrowed from Rolf Harris. That... <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. That, that would go very well with a keyboard tie, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, it would do. I don't know if I can stretch that far. That's probably... You'd have to have one or the other, I think. Maybe both would just be going a bit too far, right? Yeah, it might just end up being Timmy Mallet. <laughs> don't talk to me about Timmy Mallet. You know, Timmy Mallet was one of the people... Um, when I used to be somebody and had hit records, or nearly, Timmy Mallet was one of those people that... Uh, kept me from the top spot with itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini oh, so no. i won't hear his name mentioned Sorry. so when are you off robbie soon well we've got our first gig at the weekend we're doing a big festival in leeds and then kind of weekend weekend festivals up until august and then we're off then wow so, yeah nice. so it's our first outing of this whole new rig on saturday so yeah fingers crossed it's all been working great in rehearsals but any, as you know, festival gigs are a bit of a different animal. Yeah, any issue with static, electricity, with all that plastic? No, because a nice damp chamois leather gets rid of all that. A damp chamois leather. So that's now but, part of our touring rig, if you can imagine. Do you bring the dampness with you, or do you acquire the dampness in the territory? I that I you have to acquire gigs. And also, the people handling the gear are all handling it in latex gloves so we don't get finger marks over it. <laughs> You're going to end up being one of those blokes who's, who's, who's um, you know, who, who's quoted in those kind of bizarre rider kind of articles that come out every 10 years. That'll be you. Yeah. Don't yeah, touch yeah. it without the gloves, man. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, it's all good. It's, it's very exciting. Wow. Now it's had customised KX5s in hot orange and all that sort of thing as well, so it's good. Nice. Uh, there are so many titles. Uh, we're talking damp chamois and latex gloves. I mean, you know, what else could I ask for? Yeah. I, I, I don't know whether I'm still doing the smutty titles. I'll, I'll think about it. Anyway, are you let's... doing rewind, Robbie? Oh, what? Uh, we are. We are Henley. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing Henley. Yeah, on the Sunday. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing, Dave, that you might be there. Not if I can help it. <laughs> I just. <laughs> you'll be phoning the police. <laughs> with a cease and that desist stop that seizures. stop that racket <laughs> I think it's sold out it's sold out every year like months it, in advance wow. yeah. every year that, it does it just sells out massively in advance I, I was kind of gobsmacked I was like surely there's not even 25,000 people in Emmy but it's like yeah. whoa we're doing we're doing about another four of those kind of festivals 80s another, there's another another strand of a different guy doing it and we're doing four of them and they're all sold out across the country 
Sweet. That's yeah. brilliant. Anyway, let's get on with it. We have topics to cover. What is the first one? I'm scrolling up. Ah, yes. I think I actually queued this video up and everything. This is enough for now. This is probably my favorite part of the, the rig, and it's a Tascam 4-track cassette recorder. One of the latest ones. Um, I, I, uh, during production, I started, um, you know, that's when I usually start playing with, with gear and see what works and what doesn't. And, and somehow for the song Hurt, I started, uh, I decided to make a logic session where the chords that are in the chorus, I could cut them so I would have four chords in four different tracks looped forever. And then I transferred those to cassette in order to have each one of those chords in one of the channels. So you play, you, you, you essentially play the mixer? The four, yeah, like you basically play the four progression, you know, the, four, yeah. the four chords, you play the progression by hand, basically. And it sounded so interesting and so cool uh, on its own that um, once I started putting effects on it, and I started realizing that I could just make some of my Bloody Valentine-ish pitch changes just by barely touching the pitch wheel while I was playing, and it just all of a sudden, it, it made uh, a part that was, you know, more static earlier, but still with a lot of personality. It's sort of given it a new life. And next thing you know, we had a rack of tapes right next to me. <laughs> you know, almost every song in the set has a cassette now. Uh, some of them are approached the same way as Hurt is, and some others as different parts of the song. So sometimes it's one sound, another sound. and for, for example, for Disappointed... It's That's awesome. You'll have to watch the rest of that, because uh, that, we posted that. That was uh, Ed, our intrepid reporter, went to see Alexandre Cortini at uh, the O2. That was Nine Inch Nails at the O2, which is a massive venue. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dave, I know you're, uh, you're a fan of uh, Alessandro. I'm becoming more and more of a fan of his. Every time I sort of do search something out, I have to have a hit of uh, one of the tracks of Sonorio every uh, couple of weeks just to sort of keep me kind of uh, sane. Uh, great idea, though, isn't it? I'm loving that. I, when I saw that, my jaw literally dropped. I was thinking, wow, that is just such a great idea. And so kind of left field. Although I'm a bit worried about those cassettes. They look like D-type cassettes. They look really crappy. Thus, the prices of all Porter Studios go through the roof. Maybe so. No, I, I went to that gig. Uh, not that gig. I went to see him at Birmingham. He, in fact, he gave me the exact same tour as he gave your chap. Oh. Uh, which was very nice of him. I went to see him about something I can't really talk about at the minute, but he was absolutely brilliant. I was videoing him for something, and he was utterly brilliant. He really set the benchmark so ludicrously high. He just kind of went into this monologue about what I wanted from him and did it for exactly six minutes and there were no fluffs, no <laughs> everything. And I was like, okay. And, and they had literally just arrived off the bus from like somewhere abroad. You know, they literally got off the bus, da, 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 did, oh, did, did sound check, talked us through all the gear, uh, went into a room which he really kindly organised away from all the noise did the did the, whatever it was I needed from him, and then we went into catering, and we talked about synths until about half past seven, at which point I went, I think either my car's being towed from the stage door, and you probably need to get a little bit of a break before you go on at nine or something. Wow. So, yeah, very... Either uh, that or he doesn't get on with anybody else on the bus. <laughs> Just know, was, for a I, conversation. I, I have to say, while we were waiting, so we'd been kind of ushered side stage where all the main stage racks and stuff were, and uh, while we were waiting for him to come in, him and Trent walked in at exactly the same time, and 
I got introduced to Trent and uh, I, I'm not a huge, huge Nine, Nine Inch Nails fan in that I don't know all of their catalogue and stuff, but what I do know I really like, and obviously I'm a big fan of Alessandro's. I've known him on and off for years. And uh, Trent kind of, I got introduced to him and Trent went, hey man, thanks for making such cool gear. And I went into that kind of fan mode, even though, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as a huge, huge epic fan. I just kind of, you know, where everything goes... Blah, 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 yeah, blah, I know that blah, one. Blah. So, yeah, I, as, as he walked off and went, see you later, I thought, no, nah, he probably won't want to see me later. Oh, I'm sure he will. But the show was awesome, and that rig is brilliant. I mean, just really brilliant. Yeah, it looks really... It. It does look, it's not only that, but it's just such an inventive way of using things. I mean, I know, Robbie, you know, there, there is this phase that you've just been through, haven't you, where you're basically sorting out the production and kind of coming yeah. up with ways of doing things. Uh, I mean, that whole idea of separate things on separate faders actually, you know, I mean, it could be cassette or it could just be playing back from the DAW, right? It doesn't really make that much yeah, difference. We, we, we did it for a track Howard had that um, he did in the old days with Stephen W. Taylor Engineering, where they did the old, you know, tape loops around broom handles, long business, and made up single notes and make chords from it and I put them all into Ableton and played them on faders in the gig but right. I mean that's taking it to a whole other level of um, kind of Heath Robinson-ish which I kind of all, all props to him I mean looking at that rig modulars and stuff on stage he's a brave man doing all that yeah I was I was just thinking of you actually <laughs> it's, still I mean, the, it's, it's just I mean it's, it's a gig stressful enough without having so many kind of variables like that that could just go wrong at any minute so, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic. There's people out there prepared, you know, on that big scale to do such crazy things. Yeah, no, it's yeah. awesome, isn't it? Um, I wonder if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I wonder if there's, there's, there's something about the way that it sounds as well, just coming, because, uh, you know, these things are being blasted out of massive PA systems, you know, sort of state-of-the-art kind of stadium rigs, really. So I mean, there must be something about the sound of it as well. I, I, yeah. I, I'm guessing that um, it probably fits with... I. I, I I think that, um, from what I understand of Trent, he just likes things that are different as well, and that is most certainly different, for sure. Has he got a tape roadie who's making extra copies every gig or something? Yeah, well, apparently, um, in the YouTube comments for the video, because it went ballistic, they very kindly uh, tweeted it out over the Nine Inch Nails social media. So we had, like, this massive, massive spike. It did, like, something like 20,000 views over a couple of days, that video. Um, and in the comments, somebody said, oh, I was in the crowd, and somebody... Somebody, um, somebody was throwing cassettes out, but I never got it. And, uh, and, and the guy who was doing it said, yeah, it was me. I was aiming for your face, you know, in true Nine Inch Nails <laughs> way. I think they might have known each other. But, so they obviously tossed the cassettes out, and, you know, maybe they redo them every, uh, every gig. But, yeah, it's a terrifying thought, isn't it? What if he's like, oh, no, not that one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that was the, the master. <laughs> yeah. That, there's a short story in there somewhere where he has to actually stage dive off the stage just to go and find the cassette and then you know yeah i yeah. don't know but yeah brilliant um they're still touring i think they're on their um u.s leg u.s canada leg uh, it seems like a very um epic um amount of uh, just gigs that they're doing and they're they are huge i look i was checking their facebook page just and it's had three it's got 3.4 million likes when you think of that sort of stuff, it's just like, wow, that's just inconceivable to me. I, I could, you know, wouldn't say no, but I guess you have to be a band going for 20, 30 years. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who said he saw Nine Inch Nails back in about 19... 
90 something at the Astoria in London and where they were he said it was the closest thing that he imagined like a Sex Pistols gig it was the loudest thing he's ever heard and not only that but Trent was sort of kicking band members off the stage <laughs> it, sort of, it sounded like a really sort of mad period I think because um, we did an interview with John Van Eaton uh, who's regularly in the chat room he's like the sort of super roadie uh, tech back, back line guy and I think he was working with them back then and I think that may have been um, during his period I guess it, that's probably why he got the gigs. He's so massive. <laughs> Somebody I know was doing their front of house. Ex, uh, uh, he's normally do, he normally does Radiohead, and I think he did front of house for a couple of tours. And he said it was pretty. It was a pretty intense tour. Yeah, I probably shouldn't shouldn't have said that. Um, no, but I, I, there's something about Trent. I really like his attitude. You know that whole thing about when people go, "Oh, you got to give away your album and all that kind of stuff." And, it was like, you know, it might work for somebody like Amanda Palmer putting out the kind of begging bowl, but it doesn't work for me. I did the best, I do the best work that I can on this album. It costs 10 bucks or go F yourself. And we were just like, we need people like that. Yeah. And by contrast, Alessandro is really kind of, you know, very, uh, I wouldn't <clears throat> say meek, but he's not got the same intensity that somebody like Trent's got. But oh, the, I'll tell you, that gig was pretty amazing. I mean, from the moment it kicked off, it was just, it just went, <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very good. Someone told me he's got like a little area of the stage that's a bit darkened. He can go off and compose himself and just like, or he has on other tours and kind of just kind of ad lib when he doesn't want to be in the limelight. Is that right? Did he do that on this tour? Probably, possibly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen the only gig that I'd seen before this was at Reading actually last year, right. where I went down and there was a load of grief over, I think, the lighting on that, and there was a load of stuff, so everything was pretty intense backstage. And in a situation like that, you just need to you need to know when to go away and just give them a little bit of space and compose themselves. Yeah. Carl, Carl used to do that with yeah. Underworld gigs. You know, he'd just walk off stage and get his head together for a little bit and then come back. Wow. Go just, mental. In the chat room, uh, we've got Hiltonius in the chat room. Uh, a friend of his was Trent, Trent, Trent's personal handler for a while in the 90s. That must have been an interesting gig. I mean, I know those sort of things tend to yield all sorts of unrepeatable stories. Nice to see you in the chat room, Rich. Uh, we... we um, the reason we've got a smaller panel this week is uh, we had two last week with Mark and Rich, and it worked really nicely as a sort of occasional thing where where people can kind of get a bit more time to talk. So that's why I decided to to keep it low and give that. Rich, you're supposed to be having the day off. You should, you'd be doing doing something. You're only supposed to be mowing the lawn or something, or doing something uh, in you know playing with your electron or your microbrute. <laughs> Um, anyway, what else have we got? Yeah, if you want to check them out, um, there's uh, tour.9inchnails.com uh, and you've, you should see our video. It's, uh, it, you'll find it via the site. If you just look for Alessandro Cortini, uh, very, very kindly um, did that. Um, let's have this next video. Um, this is, yeah, this is bonkers. This is... Um, I'm not sure how... I'm, I should be able to play this. Oh, I can hear this. Yeah, this is uh, Caustic Window, which is uh, one of... Uh, which is James um, Nom de Plumes, uh, a.k.a. Aphex Twin. This is an album that never saw the light of day. It's been put on YouTube. as a, there's Apparently there were only four copies made. It was written, it was made but not released, and there were only four copies ever, ever available, and they, the people who had them was Richard James, a couple of other 
people are guy in the record company and they were they've never been allowed to release them and then there was this kickstarter project um well first of all uh, it, it showed up but then it's also it's on ebay right and the current uh, when i checked the price was about six grand now it's twenty thousand for this what this is this, these are pictures of it <laughs> it's just a, a piece of, I, i've seen i've got some white labels of tom's diner i wonder if i could get anything close to that that would be awesome uh even a fraction, frankly. Um, yeah, so it's now 20 grand. But not only that, this was kind of really strange because I was doing some research on it. This actually came from a Kickstarter project that was funded. Uh, basically, I'm not sure who it was that put it up. They, they were trying to get nine grand to get it sort of properly mastered and digitally released. And then you could, as a buyer, you would end up with a copy. And it's uh, so 16 bucks, you'd end up with a sort of high quality digital copy. And they were trying to raise nine grand. They raised 67,000. 424 bucks which is pretty mind-blowing when you consider it so you not only got the 67 grand for that but they've also got the 20 grand on ebay at the moment um this is probably the most i've ever heard of apex twin i know he's very legendary primarily because of the videos that he did the mtv sort of years when he did those amazing videos with uh cunningham with the sort of um where it was his face Uh on Busty Girls, the hip-hop parody, which was awesome. Uh, sort of window liquor period was probably about as big as he got, wasn't it? And I think that's probably where where he gained his notoriety, you know? So this is... this is, I mean, I, it, it doesn't really do much for me, I must say, but it's astonishing, really. Can you imagine anything? I mean, I can't even imagine 67 grand for a digital... Co- or $20,000 for a blooming copy of some vinyl. I mean, you see memorabilia of kind of some fairly major things going for less than that. What's going on? It's amazing, isn't it? it is, so, yeah. what what is the eBay thing then? The, the eBay, eBay thing, like one it, copy. The eBay so is you can a actually have the physical vinyl. You can actually have the physical vinyl. It the only one. There's one of four or whatever. That's okay, it. Okay. So after it's been ripped or whatever, they've obviously ripped it, and then they'll go. Okay, you can have this. Yeah, this is the test. Bre- this, this is it um, that you can have. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if there are any limitations on it, what you can do with it afterwards. You can't sell it on or... Um, let me see. Uh, files 1, 2, nine, blah, 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 blah. A few meals later. Kickstart. Uh, please note... Uh, uh, somebody's just... Uh, please note, grant at Reflex HQ as the record is possession and be shipping it out to the winner from the UK. We will contact you. Best regards, I will be shipped insurance once the auction ends. Um, hmm. Nope. It doesn't really... Either that or it's the new music that he's going to press to a white label and sell for 20 grand. Well, either way, it's a pretty... It's pretty much, I mean, either way, it's raised... It's going to raise no closer to 100,000 bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it, isn't it? You were talking... Yeah. Uh, you were talking about that, Dave, you know, about kind of, you know, the kick, the idea for giving your music away or getting, getting Kickstarter stuff. I mean, that's, you know, that's the one. That is... Quite something. I know. It, what I just yeah. don't understand, but I don't really understand the s- cultural significance of that piece of vinyl. I mean, I just, I don't get it. His fans are obviously so fanatical. I mean, I mean, I've I've always kind of had a kind of a, a, a kind of a very good healthy respect for what he does. But I'm he's one of those artists where I, I kind of use the term "can't eat a whole one" because quite often it's hard listening, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's very accomplished, and it, you know very technically great and i guess there's a whole army of people who are you know are avid fans for that kind of thing yeah well he's down in your neck of the woods isn't he Robbie? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere. Probably passed him on the street. Never knew it. Yeah, he'll be the one doing those kind of kicks where, like, you know, where you kick your legs together as he sort of waves a wad of twenty thousand. You know, no, I'm sure he, he probably doesn't need the cash, but I reckon but, it's it's actually probably to fund the repair to his Yamaha GX1. You think so? Maybe that's it. There were some rumours on the chat rooms, you know, I was watching comments about this, there were some rumours that it was actually used to fund a piece of equipment that he wants to buy, but, I mean, it's just, if you look on Synthtopia, there's just endless, people just seem to, he's, he, he's just got this kind of state, because he's, I guess because he just never shows up anywhere, never says anything publicly, people have to put words in his mouth by conjecture, and it's the perfect way of creating an image of himself. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. What I should not be doing is doing a weekly podcast, or if I do, I should, all my reviews in the future, I should be cast in shadow, and you can't see me. Then I'll become enigmatic. And we've, have we've got of va- <laughs> value. We've got a sound designer whose name is Richard James. And if I had one email for, is that the real Richard James? I'd have, well, certainly if, if I'd have had a quid for every email, I'd have had at least 45 quid by now. Wow. But no, it does make me laugh because people are like, oh, wow, wow, it's Richard James. And sort of, I really, next time I think what I'm going to do is put like Richard James in brackets, not Aphex Twin Richard James. Just so we can kind of clarify that. In fact, but I'll, it is funny because so many people are obviously completely obsessive about his work. It's, it, it seems to permeate right across ages and everything. Yeah. Anyone who's into electronic music. Yeah. It's very curious, isn't it? In fact, all I'll have to do is put Aphex Twin in the title of this show and uh, it'll have masses of hits. Assuming I don't, or, get, don't get busted for YouTube copyright because I've played you know, a bit of music. That's what you want to do. You want to secure an interview and then put that on Kickstarter... And then just sell the video for that interview with Richard James if he's down your neck of the woods. Wow. Do Can that. I, maybe I should just use your Richard James and do it with that. And then, it, uh, uh, then in yeah. the small print, just say, A Richard James, not the Richard, <laughs> <laughs> Richard James. Yeah, he's a designer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, perhaps not the real Richard James. I probably, yeah, I probably could just on SEO. I'd probably make a couple of hundred quid. I don't know, anyway, yeah. That's not the idea. I mean, I am, you know, it's always nice to it consider... Helps, it. Nick. it all helps, it all It all does help, yeah, absolutely. Every little bit helps. So, what the hell? Reputation means Eat nothing. Kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pay by Western Union transfer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I've got a small office in... Uh, oh, where is it? I can't remember the name of the place now. It's, um, it begins with E. Uh, this is amazing. I mean, it's jaw-droppingly amazing, I think. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Fantastic. I wonder if it's gone up anymore. Hold on, let's have a look, see if anyone's uh, bid How on it. Use the money wisely. Let's have a look, see if it's gone up. No, it's only... Tw- let's start. Oh, let's look at the bid history, actually. That'll be interesting. Let's see. It's so not we've that got- EMI desk, isn't it, that's... It's just going up in $1,000. So it, was, it started... Let's see, where did it start? Was it... Ni- oh, one cent. Nice. So one cent, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 20, 50, 52... And then it went up, and then it's just sort of going up in $1,000 increments. <laughs> What's if this not, for? This is for the, the deck? For the, no, this is, for, yeah, for, the, for that oh, vinyl. Okay. So, yeah, now Where's it's going up. Where's the desk at now? That desk was going what? crazy, wasn't it? What desk is that? Yeah, and everyone yeah. reckons Lenny Kravitz is going to step in at the last minute and kind of snag it for an obscene amount of money. Hey, what desk is that? EMI desk, red desk that's on sale. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. It Red EMI desk. Have we search. have kind of sweepstakes amongst me and a few friends. It's like, yeah, okay, so what do you reckon that's going to go for? What do you reckon that's going to go for? It's constant. It's quite entertaining. It'll we haven't put lot. that Aphex Twin thing in the pot. Maybe we should. Uh, I, reckon, I reckon the Aphex Twin thing might actually go for more than the 
let's get this right. Now that would be crazy. Anyway. The thing is, he's he's, he's, made, he's doing this Kickstarter and everything to buy that desk. That's what it is. You're right. That's it. I think you've nailed it. <laughs> it's it's all like a cycle. He, he needs to put those 12-bit, 8-bit samples into a, a, a multi-thousand-dollar summing mixer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's have an ad. It's ad time. Let's see if it plays. I'll press the button and we'll see what happens. Oh, look at that. Straight away. Isotope, of course. Iris, in case you haven't been following the show, Isotope sponsor the show. Iris is a groundbreaking... Sample-based synthesizer. It's a new spin on sound design, a visual instrument that's perfect for musical inspiration. Using the uh, spectral design, you can see you can select visually certain parts. Uh, it, you can a neg positive and negative. There are up to four layers, so you can do all this amazing stuff. Multiple loop points, uh, amplitude envelopes, filters, effects, shape shifting, apply synthesis controls to selections and yeah, layers. Enjoy warm, lush filters, delays, reverbs, chorus distortions for each layer. There's lots of sound libraries too. You can download a free day, ten-day demo of Isotope RS today. At isotope.com and in fact you may know that our very own um, podcast was involved in the actual con concept and development of this synthesizer because when we first saw the RX3 uh, sound restoration we thought oh, that would make an awesome synth and so it was so so isotope.com iris and of course we do have a competition and a winner in fact if I go to the winner um, let me find out who the winner is it's uh, there we go last week we asked you you have to be a member of Twitter so while I'm rabbiting on you could go and join Twitter if you're not and when you're a member of Twitter you have to tweet to both ourselves and at isotope inc with a hashtag so last week the uh, the hashtag was found sound and uh, the winner was avi ziv uh, who is at Improziv with a Z. Uh, if he wants to get in touch, we'll get the uh, Isotope Ferry. We'll give him um, a special gift. Bestow it upon his email account, so I need to get in touch. Um, and he said, uh, yeah, great show, great show as usual. Thanks. We had a bumper entry uh, entries this week, actually. The numbers are starting to go up. But you can win again this week. In fact, if you want to win Isotope Irix, Iris, even, you need to... Be a member of Twitter. You want to hashtag Spectrogram Synth as a hashtag. And you send that to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And then what happens is I will basically run a filter that just gets all of the entries, puts them in a big list, and I get a random number and I count from the bottom upwards, which is the first entry up, and the uh, the what the, the random number winner wins the copy and the Isotope Fairy bestows it upon them. So tweet at Sorry, at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. with the hashtag Spectrogram Synth and to win. Easy stuff. What more can we say? Right. Um, next. Uh, we did the Aphex Twin. Yeah, 60. Uh, oh, actually, this was interesting. I don't know if you spotted this. Um, Dave Smith has released a picture. There's apparently a new synth. Look, there's a little picture. Uh -huh. Robbie, you're a big you're a big fan of, or a big owner of Dave Smith Instruments. Yeah. You're going to be, uh, you know what it is? Well, you probably can't I say. If you... I I could ring up and I got a good contact there, but I I'd, I'd rather wait for the surprise. I think. Yeah, would you like to speculate? Oh, I don't know. It's a lot of people, a lot of people are saying, oh, perhaps it's like a Pro One type synth. You know oh, I mean, nah. You know, I've the Mono Evolver, and that's quite. You know, it can do that kind of stuff pretty well. So I don't know what. I haven't a clue what it could be. That looks to me like four parts, which yeah, is what. what I uh, yeah. So what is it? The what's the one with four? Is it the Evolver? Or the Mofo the, four. The Mofo. Four. The Mofo. Yeah. Maybe it's a new Mofo or something like that. I don't know. 
I like the look of the, those knobs, though. Dave, yeah. you've now got loads of DSI stuff, and you're called Dave. You've got to have <laughs> yeah. this, presumably. No, this is, this is an FM synth, isn't it? Oh, they're operators. <laughs> My God, I think you've got something. So you've got four operators, or maybe up to 20 operators, with, sh with the use of shift keys. And maybe it's got a very tiny LCD for um, programming on, really, really small, uh, even smaller, perhaps, than the original DX7, just for sort of, you know, retro sakes. I think not. And a really tiny throw data entry slider. <laughs> only three notches. And if you want it to do any more than that, you have to push another three buttons in order to make it go. Coarse and fine with a four shift. Four and eight or something. Perhaps yeah. it's a kind of a cut down version of the Prophet 12, four, like a four voice version. Yeah, I think that's more likely, isn't it? I mean, usually yeah. what Dave Smith does is, you know, take the last iteration of what he's been building and produce either an up or a down version of it. I mean, it would make sense because you've got the you know, the, the, the chip program, everything's in place. It's just a question of repackaging the hardware and maybe, you know, less voice boards or whatever. That would make more sense, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't keep a big... I noticed, you know, since drop-off, you know, with what they're doing, like the, they stopped doing the Mono Evolver and they've stopped doing the Poly Evolver now. So there's obviously only a finite amount since they can practically make it any one time. So, like you say, probably, probably an iteration of what's already, you know down the scale a little bit from what's the flagship now. Nice. Uh, As your head says in the chat room, it's a four-part Bossa Nova drum computer, which I like the sound of that, with a unique filter on each uh, each drum part. That's an awesome idea. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway... The Prophet 12 is amazing, though, I have to say. Have you got one? Well, I, I, I had Howard's in here the other week for a Sushi Friday, and I've been umming and ahhing because I haven't got any space left, so... I'm I'm umming and ahhing about getting rid of my Profit 8 and getting the Profit 8 module, which has got all the knobs, and also getting the Profit 12 module to sit by beside it. But, of course, there's no knobs on the Profit 12 module. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just not, it's such a great interface when you work with it, having all that stuff in front of you. And yeah. we were getting great stuff out of it. So, I don't know. I'm mm, on the fence. On the fence. Yeah. That's a kind of big keyboard in Alessandro's rig, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's a lovely synth. It's really nice. Yeah. Oh, well, um, these these difficult decisions. Well, it's, it is the most, apart from the Schmidt, there, there's nothing between the Prophet 12 and the Schmidt in terms of current models, is there? You know, so you've got, what is it, two and a half, three thousand bucks or 20,000. There's nothing sort of in between unless you buy actual vintage, right? Yeah. So, you know, it is the current king of the polys, really, isn't it? Because there's, just by token of the fact that it's got, more voices and it's the most expensive you know in between those two things i suppose uh that was just a a, a not very um, I was sorry go dave no 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 i wasn't really aware of this until uh i kind of logged on facebook this morning mark doty had a really funny comment that made me go oh what's this then and it was uh it was just just made the mistake of reading a comment thread on the DSi surprise that's on the way. Consumers don't deserve anything that anyone makes because all the comments are basically make it polyphonic, make it have a sequencer, make it have an arpeggiator, make it multi-timbral, is it analogue, make it FM. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, ah, FM. Yeah, FM. I'll wind up about that. In fact, I, I saw, I was watching uh, some video streams the other day because there was an a, a, a electronic music festival in Japan where they were doing some live streaming and there was also, um, it just led me through, there's the uh, Boiler Room who do uh, live DJ sets and they just stream them and there was this guy in LA who I forget what he was called and he was just playing a lot of it live and he was just playing sort of like 
really crappy drum machines and FM basses. <laughs> it was just that was the sound of it. It was like so authentic, but it was just quite funny. But just, but that's obviously you know something that's sort of coming up. So I think maybe we're going to start seeing a bit of that. It didn't do anything for me though. I'm afraid I can't remember the name of him. Uh, I, saw some, I saw someone on the chat on a on a forum talking about this new um, DSI synth, and he was saying. Um, they were saying, oh, as long as it's not as expensive as the, you know, Dave Smith Instruments all normally is. And somebody else went, make it four times as expensive so only a few decent people can have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a bit of a dig there. D- DSI, uh, Bull- Bullart, it's the DSI Rhythm Wolf. Yes, perhaps it is. The mysterious Rhythm Wolf that doesn't seem to have uh, got past it. So we just need to give it some voicing and then it'll be out there with demos. I wonder what's going on with August, that. August, isn't that coming out, I saw? Well, I don't know. I don't believe anything they say, frankly, because <laughs> they all just lied <laughs> at uh, Music Messer. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure they didn't know, but, um, well, anyway, well, uh, I should probably be careful. I think they're probably a sponsor or have been. Um, not of this show, admittedly, and probably never will be. But, you know, right, what else? Oh, yeah, this, this looks kind of fun. Um, this is actually, uh, I've got a video for this. That's an interesting it sounds like a, ch- a cross between a chimp and a guero. This is CV, MIDI CV control for the Korg Little Bits, and that's what MIDI control can sound like, <laughs> if you so wish. But it's not the actual kit that they've made. Uh, oh, I d- I'm, sh- I'm sure I did. Did I not have a link for that? I thought I had. Ah, oh, i obviously broken it, but never mind. The point was... Oh, yeah, here we go. I'll open it up and then I can put it in the... Uh, uh, Korg, finally, uh, the little bit stuff, which looked look kind of fun, you know, is a bit kind of wobbly just because by the nature of putting it together, um, it's sort of stuck together with magnets. But they, the, the little bit synth kit, which I reviewed uh, elsewhere in, uh, in in the timeline, they've got three new modules, which is a CV module, a MIDI module, and uh, what's the other one? There's, uh, I'm trying to think. A MIDI block, yeah and, uh, uh, well, the CV block and the USB I.O. module would let you pipe the little bits audio directly into your PC. That's interesting. So, I mean, once again, this is just the extension of these kind of little bits, I mean, bits and bobs. It's an interesting move, perhaps not worthy of an enormous amount of uh, top. Are you, are you planning on finding a little bits corner for your... Uh, your synth cave there, Dave. I mean, you know, you could you could put it on like one of those uh, bits of galvanised steel that you have in uh, posh kitchens, like you know, a, a, like a, ma- a magnet instead That's of fridge. That's what they need. They need a kind of magnet retrofit, don't they? So, so you, you could put, put it on, on fridges and stands and stuff like that. So you can kind of have it on the edge of things. I like that idea That's a lot. A- in fact, you could kind of build it all the way round. Be really cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, all round your desk and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I do but- really like their stuff, and this is just an obvious thing, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it certainly is. More hipster rubbish, says uh, Sonic uh, Sonic three 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 one. Excellent. That's good. That it's not just me that's the grumpy old man in this uh, in this triumvirate, and uh, we have some uh, some people who are out there. But thank you for your comments. Um, but yeah, no little bits could be the the, the native VS also says um, is that you know it could be the the basis of a kind of. Uh, DIY modular and I think you know that's possibly the way that things are going you know there's going to be what's everything sort of interfaces together it's it's got an interesting possibility and I don't know how much I think the little bits kits about a uh, hundred quid is it a hundred quid or so I can't remember now actually I don't know if anybody does remember in the chat room they'd probably be able to tell me but um something nice to to add it to something for the yeah. summer although the only problem I did find with this is any time that you wiggle it it um it kind of cracked because basically they're held together with these magnets. You kind of try yeah. and move things around. They go, 
and it all breaks apart. So it's not quite... And that, the other thing I found is by trying to put a power supply into it that wasn't a PP3, I got the most god-awful uh, earth hum out of it. It was un absolutely unusable. Wow. Um, and the battery only lasts a short amount of time. I guess if you put lithium-ion batteries, you'd be all right. But, I mean, you, they cost about a tenner a go. <laughs> so, you Give know. it a few months and Alessandro will have it in his nine-inch nail rig. No, that yeah, one, yeah, we'll be going. little That's bits cool. live for stadium Yeah, and have like a whole pyramid of it or some crazy <laughs> thing. <laughs> can you imagine anything less reliable? I don't think there is. Yeah, no, well, can you imagine anything less reliable than a four-track on stage? I mean... Well, I don't know, it's a Tascam, top of the line. Yeah. <laughs> he was at pains to say. Um... What else? Um... Oh, gosh, we're really cracking through it. I didn't think we'd get this far. Um... Oh yeah, this this uh, actually this was just um, something that I thought might be interesting. I, obviously, we're in the the zone of uh, football at the moment. You might have noticed there's a World Cup on and stuff. Um, really? And I just wondered if any. I don't know if uh, England haven't quite disgraced themselves yet, but there's this interest. In case you were wondering, there was an interesting article on uh, LiveProduction.tv of how you would broadcast a large sort of stadium kind of uh, side because I was always curious about how it works in terms of sound. Uh, stereo pairs, uh, but they have a rather helpful diagram down here, which I thought was quite... There's the, uh, the, the behind goal. And the, the, it makes absolute sense when you think about it in these ways. Obviously, this is like how you might mic it up as a, uh, for a lot of shotgun mics kind of strafing the pitch, as it were. But then you have shotguns on the cameras, obviously. So the camera is pointing where the action is, and that's why you get... Because I was like, how on earth do they get the football sound every time somebody kicks it? And it's like, duh, what an idiot. It's because there's a shotgun mic on the camera and the camera is pointed at the footballer. I don't know, that's just, but it just seems quite... And what just made me think a little bit about shotgun mics because shotgun mics, have, um, they've gone through phases of being used for uh, audio production as well. Uh, did you ever, Dave, did you ever get your snare mic'd with a shotgun mic? Because that was one thing, wouldn't you? You have a, snare mic, a shotgun mic above the drummer pointing right down to the skin of the snare. That was always... That was a way to do it. I don't know what it sounded like. Do you know, I don't remember... I've used shotgun mics a lot. I mean, I used to do a lot of um, sound recording stuff for video. Nothing as elaborate as this. I mean, Jesus. I'd hate to be the person in the gallery going, that, 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 that. In fact, I'd hate to be the person putting up the faders going, oh, shit, I've just missed a fader. Um, yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I mean, I'm trying to think. We had the Sennheiser, I want to say 412, but I can't remember. But yeah, no, that was kind of my job for years, was sort of standing there with my little SQN, holding this boom mic, desperately trying to eke it into shot so it would annoy some, so it would really irritate the producer or the cameraman. But that was generally a sackable offence. Oh, hold on. Actually, I've got some great, I've got a bit of video that I can play you for, because uh, this is what happened, you know, you'd think that the sound would be great for this, but I don't know if anyone actually saw the opening ceremony of uh, the World Cup. It was Pitbull and J-Lo and some uh, Brazilian oh. star who was, you know, you know, massive Brazilian star. And they looked like clones of each other. And it was all, but it was just hilarious. This is how badly wrong it can go. I'm going to switch this on. Because I remember looking at this thinking, what? This is what it sounded like in the stadium. And then, <laughs> oh, I've got to play that. Hold on, hold on. This is what it looked like as well. I'll probably get busted for this, even though this is... It's almost unlistenable, and it was at the time. You could, they were all sort of mouthing away. What, what are you saying, mate? What? It's just brilliant. 
What could possibly go wrong? I mean, it's only about, what, two billion people watching after all. Genius. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. That, I mean, it all, and all it takes is like a stereo feed from the playback, really, doesn't it? But, yeah, that was yeah. Awful, awful. That it's made me cringe. Either that or a wardrobe malfunction and you're in a whole heap of pain. Yeah, I... It reminded me of Darren. You know, when Darren came on and was talking about oh, the, the yeah. opening of the Olympics, when he said, you know, they had the, they were using Pyramix and then it was like a backup of a backup of a backup. And then he said, I think when I called him on the Friday morning, he kind of said, okay, so is everything cool? And he said, yeah, mate. He said, I've just done the very last backup. And I went, what's that then? And he went, a CD. <laughs> <laughs> Should have gone for a four-track cassette, surely. That would yes. be, yeah, that would be the you next could, phase. Actually, that's genius because if, like, the athlete on the athletes' parade, if they're marching too slow, you just very speed it up a little bit. Like, come on, get a move on. <laughs> that was interesting. If any of you uh, actually haven't seen that, it was an am- I, 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 it always amazes me that that view that show didn't get more views. Basically, after the London Olympics, uh, Underworld, uh, as you may know or may not know, were involved in the music pl- programming and pro- planning of the whole show, and we had uh, Darren, who is uh, was like the, 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 the kind of tech brains behind the Underworld team. I, I think that's right, isn't it, Dave? Telling us how it was all how it all went together and the whole process. It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Probably my favourite show in terms of just sort of technical stuff. Apart from this one, of course, lads. But but yeah, it was. Uh, if you get to watch it, I'll put a link in the notes if I remember. Um, so sound in the football. There were some state. brilliant things on this though, in terms of you know without don't compress the directional mics because obviously then you can get all manner of that can cause all manner of pain if oh, they're not because of phasing and what have you. So yeah. they could what they compress the stereo pairs. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't get the chance to read all of this. But I didn't I bother reading. <laughs> Someone put in the chat room. There was a dedicated mic. This scopes is it? Is that how you pronounce it? Made just for for the kicking the ball, picking sh- up the ball. Shirts. Yeah, quite yeah. possibly. I really, yeah. it's probably got like some sort of because they've got this amazing. I don't know if you've watched any of the matches. I mean, you may not be into soccer at all, but they've got this. I noticed they've got this thing that's that's kind of basically um, suspended from cables, and it's like this robotic ah. thing that moves at great rapidity. And obviously, during the opening ceremony, it was dropping very low, and I was looking at it thinking, God, that's going to be awful because they keep getting hit by the ball, surely. But it's just it's obviously brought right up into the heights of the stadium and then moves around in. Um, well, it moves in three-dimensional space, and it's presumably got a PTZ camera on it as well. And that looks—that must be. I mean, the bloke. I mean, apart from the bloke who has to run up and down the the, the side of the pitch with the uh, you know with the handicam thing, which looks like an extremely physically demanding job, probably more so than the footballers. That looks like really good fun to operate. <laughs> Just absolutely fantastic. I used to have a. I used to have the um, Sennheiser boom on the on a really cool boom where you could kind of rotate it, and you had a. It was like a joystick, a effectively. Right. And I could kind of point it at wherever it was. But it was, wasn't as much fun as kind of holding the boom itself. There is one story about holding the boom. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. Do you want to hear this rather entertaining story? Yeah. It's the only time I've actually lost the plot on a, on a video shoot. Normally, the, uh, this particular director was pretty ferocious. And it was um, to do with a timeshare company and it was like the world's biggest timeshare company we had to go round kind of you know after getting loads of vox pops off of people it was their end of year rabble troop rabble rousing thing and uh, we found this bloke in a stationary cupboard who i suspect had been in there a very very long time and was 
particularly sad. And because it was such a squeeze, you had the kind of director at the front, you know, asking the questions, you had the cameraman, and I extended the boom, but I was holding it down at waist height, so it kind of fitted between, not between everybody's legs, but it was kind of crutch height. And uh, this guy started talking about uh, twin lever arch files and HB pencils and how it's very important to get your uh, order for HB pencils in by 11 o'clock if you wanted them on your desk at four. And I don't know why, but I just started to kind of giggle. And when I turned round, there was another guy who was on the shoot who was utterly hilarious. Uh, he, his face was through the window of the door and he was crying with laughter at my inability to kind of disguise it. Well, of course... Because I because the boom is massively extended. When you're laughing. My, yeah, and the, this boom is just waving in and out of shot, and in the end, I just had to run out in utter hysterics. I felt so embarrassed about the whole thing. You know, you're trying to mask it as a cough. And in fact, I then I ran as far as I could away into the car park and led between two cars and just roared myself and to, uh, just cried myself to, to, with laughter until I stopped. And the director just came up and he went, Normally, I would never, ever have tolerated such behaviour, but that was fair game. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I've never, I've never really used boom mics. I think we've got, we've got a couple here. They do. So we've, in fact, we shot. Um, we've got a, an interview with Will Gregory coming up. Uh, we because we did the um, the shoot of the. Um, the Moog, Moog Orchestra for them as a sort of arty piece for them to sort of show what they do and then we, we shot a one at the end and Andy um, used the shotgun mic on, on Will and it, it, it they do sound great because they're so they're directional cute. they yeah. do sound really good we should probably use them here really because um, uh, our radio mics are always um, wide open omnis so when you've got like two people standing there on the set quite close to each other the phase relationship is really sketchy with two omnis so close together and uh, obviously, you, you know, if you don't get the levels, it's, it, it can be quite difficult. But, I mean, this is a very dead area, so we don't get too much trouble with uh, reflections and what have you. But, yeah, I might try that at some point in the future, if we can ever afford a pair of decent shotgun mics. Um, in fact, in the chat room, um, Native VS said that th- that mic was developed, uh, the Shopes, I think you were talking about. Let me see if I can scroll it back up. Uh, was developed, that mic was developed... By, for the South Africa World Cup to overcome the Vuvuzela noise because uh, I don't remember the last <laughs> the last World Cup was in South Africa it was in South Africa wasn't it that the Vuvuzela which uh, is that sort of plastic trumpet that just made an absolute racket it just meant that you just couldn't hear anything apart from that and it was really it was quite um, annoying it was quite <laughs> annoying it was also quite sort of subversive in many ways because it's just like the it meant that the people who were actually there sort of took it and I, I, and I quite like that because I mean going massively off topic I sort of don't care anything about the World Cup anymore because it's such it seems to be allegedly such a massively corrupt organisation <laughs> it's just sort of like what's the point I mean it doesn't really matter who wins because you know they'll just I've, anyway I've got a vuvuzela have you yeah I'm going to take it to Wimbledon <laughs> <laughs> that would be all maybe you and uh, Cliff, <laughs> Sir Cliff could do like a duet when uh, when it rains could you imagine trying to smuggle it in and then all of a sudden... No, no, it's a yard of ale, sir. Yes. Fill oh. it with strawberries and cream. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be cool. Yard fun. of strawberries and cream. <laughs> now, that, yeah. you get it That'll in there. That would be £1,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, if you were really, really subversive, you could open a, a strawberries and cream concession stall that was served in Vuvuzelas. Yeah. Maybe small ones. Like more like those kind of uh, little hunting horns than movies. 
<laughs> That'd be quite apt, wouldn't it, because of the class thing. Anyway, we are getting incredibly uh, left field here. Um, uh, Sang in a football stadium, I did that one. Oh, yeah, this is the other thing. Um, maybe this is to bring it back into line. I don't know. Um, that. Uh, I, well, you could choose because it's a small panel. So there was the thing about changes in mixing, which I thought was could be interesting uh, or tons of new sound loops let's go for changing and mixing because Robbie made what I will interpret as an encouraging noise there so I'm going yeah. <laughs> to use that so this was really uh, it was purely I was just re- when I was researching topics last week I was just uh, there were a couple of things um, one uh, one was about um, how mixes and the mixing process and the making of record process, you know, used to be limited by, you know, you had a 24 track or then a 32 track and then a couple of them, if you were really posh, you'd have a pair together. And so the mixing process was like governed by the number of live tracks that you could have at the mix point. So there was, you know, that there's a process for that and all not only that but also you know the format of the song you know was originally you'd have you know fairly traditional arrangements unless you're talking kind of quite experimental music now so you know there's a finite process effectively so you know the verse the chorus the bridge the blah 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 blah, blah you know three minute pop song whatever then with the advent of dance music and the extension of the introduction the extension of the build all of that the whole process becomes a lot a lot lot more complicated and also the unlimited number of tracks so the notion of mix engineer has become massively more complex and i hadn't really thought about this because you know just and that is in the space of what 10 20 years i know robbie because i mean you you know you run presumably large track counts but you you keep your session tidy as you go i mean do you do you think that there's there's something in that i mean it's quite well i think what's interesting about it is is that uh, you know essentially you listen to great records have always been great records were done with limited means and you know they sound great but i think with what we've got available today with all you know like incredibly intricate like linear phase eqs and and tracking EQs like the sound radix stuff, all these kind of clever tools, it does enable you. And you know the luxury of individual spaces on everything, and individual EQs, compressors, they're on everything you want. It does enable you to shoehorn more into the mix, which I don't necessarily think is always a good thing. So you know you can get like twice as many things in a mix, and not for it not to seem really cluttered. But I really try to try and go the other way now. And try and keep things, you know, get away with as little as possible. Um, and really kind of make the vocals the most important thing. Because I work a lot with vocalists. Yeah. And I just think, you know, a lot of people... I mean, I do a lot of vocals um, with my partner, Shaz, for other people's records, big dance records. And they always go, oh, how do you get the vocals sounding like that? And I think a lot of people just don't put any effort into the vocals because they spend so much time with the technology and the programming and stuff. And I think it's get, keeping that overview you know, the whole time of, of that is the central thing. You know, the human element is the central thing that you've got to get across. Everything else has to be built around it. And um, I, I think people now just go, oh, we'll just have another one of these, another one of these, 10 snares, you know. And I think you lose, you lose a lot of what's important about it when you do that. That's an interesting point, actually. We did talk about vocals uh, last week a bit. It would have been good to have your input, and it was a, a very interesting discussion uh, we took. Uh, in fact, that's the reason that the show got busted on YouTube, because it got copyright um, infringement, because I was using uh, Empire of the Sun. There's a vocal sound, which is very yeah. sort of complex, I suppose, and unusual and massive. 
And uh, and uh, the bizarre thing is, is I played it from the only video that I could find on YouTube, which has had like a million hits and was also uh, unsanctioned. And yet they busted me. <laughs> it was just like, and that, and his video was sank, was monetized as well. Anyway, I don't get me started. It's um, it's an interesting thought, though, isn't it? I mean, the mix process. I mean, you must find, I guess, having electronic instruments. You know, I don't know whether you run them live or whether you put them, record them into the mix. You know, there's a, there's only a certain number of moves you can fit into a mix, right? See that? Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, Will Gregory came up here a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the whole Moog thing becoming being really dominant. And how with things like an Arp Odyssey, you know, you can shave off with the high-pass filter, you can shave off a little bit of the bottom end and it, things begin to sit. And I, I've i kind of... I completely agree with Robbie, actually. It's funny, I've been talking to a lot of... A lot more... I'm not including Will in this, but I'm talking, I've been talking to a lot more old-school guys and everyone seems to reiterate the same thing. You know, the, the basis of it is the performance and whatever you can build around the performance to enhance that is for the best but when you start really cluttering and layering and I know there's a real skill in this so I'm not kind of dissing it when you start layering and more more doesn't always equal better unless you're purchasing analog synths of course then, <laughs> then, uh, then of course <laughs> but, you know I freely admit I'm a hypocrite in most uh, senses of the word but no it's interesting and I like space and for things to be able to breathe I mean that's a really it's a really big thing about the Tron, you know, we were constantly getting people going, oh, loop it, loop it, loop it. And we, for a while, we did indulge a few people, but actually the results we heard, we get a lot of people send us music that they've done using our instruments and stuff. And when we were hearing Trons that were constantly looped, it was like, oh, God, you know, stuff just isn't breathing. And I always go back with the same uh, same kind of, you know, suggestion is if you if you listen to Tron work, listen to that Radiohead exit music for a film where actually there's so much space in that mix and everything really breathes. And I love, you know, as much as I love huge bottom end from a Moog and everything else, when you start shelving things with a little bit of low, a bit, little bit of high pass and nice low pass and you get band pass, I'm kind of, you know, I fell in love with band pass filters a few years ago and I found that very hard to get out of. And, but it's a craft, is the truth and you really do need to understand that it's a craft more is not always more more is always just more it is strange yeah yeah, i think you're absolutely right there Um, the other thing that was interesting about this uh is that uh i was curious about how people approach the gain staging inside a daw as well because obviously the more stuff you've got i mean there's only a finite amount of you know, headroom you've got inside this thing. Obviously, we've got more with the uh, higher uh, internal bit counts and what have you. But I've never really understood how how it works. And I'm guessing if you record, I mean, as I've been re- I've been reading a little bit about it, and it seems to be certainly with recorded works to keep the peaks, you know, at minus ten or minus twelve. So you've got that headroom on each individual track, you know. So you just try and capture and, and leave the headroom in there, so you're not maxing everything out. But in terms of electronic stuff, I don't know, Robbie. I mean, you yeah. have to put stuff together all the time, and it, yeah. I think the danger is when you're writing and you're in the vibey kind of stage, yeah. you turn it all up, don't you? And then you've got to well, somehow. I, the way, yeah, the way I the way I deal with it is I have I have a big template in Logic, but I have I have sixteen buses which are individual things like kick and snare, bass, percussion, hi-hat, um, synths one, two, and three, 
and and vocals, backing vocals, vocal effects, and all that kind of thing. And I always things always get grouped to these buses. Otherwise, what I've found is a lot of sessions I've taken on from other people when they kind of just get into that thing of, you know, they're just working in the moment and they just shove everything up. And it's all just caning into the master output on, like, logic or whatever. And it just sounds horrible. Because, you, you know, like you say, there's just no... The, the, the gain structure is totally out the window. So I always try and keep stuff at a very sensible level on the channels and into the buses. And that way, you can at least you can bring down all the buses down into your master fader and keep it at a sensible, sensible level. And I suppose but, um, you can have the vibe of the submix into the bus, as you like it, but yeah. then kind of attenuate down from there. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, and it's, but it's, yeah, I know what it's like. You do sometimes get in that thing where you're just flinging stuff up and it sounds, you know, you don't really think about it. But I'm, I'm kind of quite fastidious with the, when it comes to mixing to really make sure that every single element is as good as it can be, you know, with the gain structure and whether it needs stuff taken out of the bottom or horrible frequencies taken out i do that all first before i really get into it so when you're when you're creating for a mix you know you're at the stage yeah. where you're coming up with the parts yeah. do you then have a very specific point where you end that process and think right now i'm in mix and you would maybe pull it all apart again and and, and rebus it or does that is that now incorporated no, to your for work myself I, I so i as i go along i try and sculpt the sounds and i try and commit to audio as well I don't like having hundreds of virtual instruments left running in the track. So I, I go, right, I'm really happy with that. That's the sound I wanted. I've taken out all the frequencies I didn't want with little shelves and whatever notches. That's it, moving on. Because I've, I've, I've got a good capacity for kind of knowing the kind of layering effect of what I'm going to do. Some people find that hard to make those kind of, you know, really bold decisions because they like to leave all their eggs in the basket. But I kind of like to go... I know what I'm doing. I know what the next stage is going to be, and kind of commit it and be done with it and move on. Right. Well, that yeah. is it. That is interesting. So when you bounce to audio, do, are you yeah. trying to get what what levels are you working to then when you're bouncing the stems out? I, you, I, I stuff. I still keep it really uh, quite, you know, relatively low, low. Right. You know, about probably about probably about less than half of what it could be. You know, an audio file. Right. I don't. When I started off, I did all that thing of optimizing everything, thinking I was going to get the best quality sound. But it just, it just becomes divisive because then you can't put anything across it without bringing, you know, taking gain off first. You go, I want to put a bit of EQ and then it's overloading. So I think it's much better to keep everything, particularly if you're working at like 24-bit or whatever, to keep everything modest in terms of, you know, the way you're bouncing it out. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I, uh, Dave, I, do, you think we're, we're, true, um, true. do you think we're kind of... Um, we're, we suffer from coming from 8 and 12-bit samplers where you had to get as much signal into the thing <laughs> as possible to make sure there was no noise. Uh, and are you disciplined when it comes to uh, your own uh, mixes and, and, and gain staging? Uh, yes, I am. And yes, we are. Um, yeah, no, Rick Smith taught me through something a million years ago. In fact, I've just found it. This, uh, it was him and Mike... Uh, engineer guy Mike Nielsen who used to produce a lot who used to engineer a lot of their stuff in the early days and they were talking about explaining that recording levels should peak at between minus 12 and minus 20 which actually makes for louder punchier mixes in the end and that's uh, that's something we've kind of lived by ever since and oh, interesting at, at the time I was quite skeptical 
girl and we were working on something together and he said so just because I was normalizing this and normalizing that I mean you know that's kind of what we do in our world and he was like no absolutely not you know right now take it back to this and take it back to that and read this thing in fact I'll I'll uh, I'll see if the link's still applicable because I'll, 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 I'll copy it and paste it in because it's a really really good read mm. And I'm a ah. Oh, the requested document could not be found. Oh no! I'm going to try. I'll, I'll see if I can relocate it. But you know, I'm a big fan of what unders do uh, in in terms of the mix, and it made a huge difference to me. And it echoes really what Robbie's saying. I guess the thing is, is you can always, if you're looking for saturation and drive, you can always get that into the signal before you commit to recording it so you've got the headroom there i mean like in the preamp or whatever i guess robbie you can drive that and then but yeah. then but then out, then tone down the output so that it's not caning the actual and i think it really depends on the type of music you make as well because you know some of the music i do the kind of more electronic stuff where it really is a lot of sound design as part of the compositional process you can't approach those kind of that kind of production and process like you do a normal trap because so many of the sounds have so many multiple processes to get them to where you want so you know you have to be able to kind of have a vision of what the end result is going to be because it's not like well, here's a bass drum and here's a snare drum and here's a kick drum you know and here's a bass line it's like that sound is going to turn into this sound when I've done this to it and that's going to affect something else so it, you know that kind of modern production you know like all the clever dubstep and you know, all the clever IDM stuff, it, it requires a real kind of overview and kind of vision for where you're going to end up. Otherwise, you're just floundering in, in, in you know, never getting anywhere. So, uh, you know. Yeah, that, interesting. Very interesting. Uh, and, and something I must admit I'm terrible at. I mean, I'm really just, you know, I've got no I mean my the thing is I come I I learned about gain staging in a live situation where you know where I'm working traditional mixer solo you know get it to to, to near to naught as you can I think the problem is is naught and naught are two very different things with uh, when it comes to analog and digital obviously naught at analog you've got all that headroom above it which is you know anything up to kind of 20 dB or more and in digital you should be doing the same. And so, you know, I probably remember when I was a kid, you know, lining up my uh, my sound card so that 0DB on my desk was 0DB on the input of the DAT or something. And then, yeah, wondering why I kept clipping. Uh, but yes, it, I think it's very... It, I think the problem is it's quite hard to understand and it's uh, in terms of digital world and it's probably not really... I guess it's probably taught in... Um, if you're doing one of those kind of... Uh, you know, courses or SSR or somewhere like that. I mean, you probably do get taught that stuff a bit more kind of clearly. You know, one of the, my, pretty much my favourite album recent years for, for, for the sound of it, and I just go back to it and marvel at it all the time, is, and people are probably surprised, is the, um, the John Mayer Continuum album. Right. I mean, that album is just such an amazing album in terms of arrangements, in terms of chording, in terms of space. And it's not electronic in any way, shape or form. You know, but I mean, I just go back and listen to that all the time and think, oh, I've got so much to learn. You know, it's, you know, it's, it can be done so well with so little. Yeah, I'm sure that's very true. I I'm not familiar with it, but... Um, oh, check it out. It's fantastic. I will. Thank you. Um, 
Let me see. Well, I guess 10 part. Oh, I forgot to mention, I'm actually, I'm doing a Reddit AMA after this at six o'clock. Uh, I was asked by the Reddit synthesizers group to do an AMA, which is an ask me anything. And I've, I only, I said yes, because I've heard other people do them that are really famous. And I thought if I did it, it'd make me feel a bit more famous. And, and perhaps even be, even be a little famous myself, you know. So, yeah, I, I, at six o'clock, I'll be on there for an hour answering questions. Infamous. Infamous, yeah. The only thing I'm worried about is that all these people who are going to be on the synthesizer, they're asking me really deep uh, synthesis questions that I am actually going to just completely come undone on and, uh, and have to sort of sidestep them. So, Dave, do you fancy ghostwriting for me when, uh, when I do that? Just need a f- Blagging in synthesis is easy. You just need a few buzzwords. If you mention Moog a lot, that usually, uh, is usually a fairly easy ride. 24 dB, that usually works quite well. Four pole works quite well. Ah, uh, OK, thank you. HPF, yeah. Any, any, any little terminology like that. That's I'll be on Skype. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll be like this. Uh, anyway, so it's only, it's all written. It's not uh, audio. So, uh, but on heckling. Heckling. Yeah, why not? Do come along. <laughs> Probably do with a familiar face. Um, yeah. So uh, that's pretty much it. Obviously, um, if you stay tuned, we've got the IRA thing coming up at some point in the near future. Uh, we've also got uh, some other reviews and bits and bobs. We've still got quite a lot of video to go up, actually, to be honest. And, uh, of course, uh, don't forget, if you want to enter the competition, uh, you should go... Uh, you have to tweet uh, the hashtag SpectrogramSynth to win a copy of Isotope Iris uh, to at SonicNick and at Isotope Inc. And I have a special search that's they're going to eke out the winners and I will pick them in a sort of, you know massively technologically and mathematically correct way hopefully i've uh, just done this oh sorry oh, no no carry on no i i've i just uh, interviewed somebody in this room uh, a couple of days ago and the window was open or the slidey door was open and a flock of birds came past all tweeting like mad and of course it was at such a pivotal point i couldn't ask him to retake it because it would have been a bit of an imposition and uh i put it in rx3 and i went in and using the spectrogram just erased all the birds and every time i have to say this and everybody knows i love isotope anyway but every time i use that piece of software my jaw drops you kind of go into it thinking this is going to be horrible and painful and it doesn't and it isn't and you just go wow there's not a single time where i've used it that i've gone yeah Every time has been a, wow, That's stunning. Great. Right in the middle of some text. And actually, if you're really careful and you kind of just erase certain parts of the frequencies, you can keep the sibilance in the text as well, you know. Sophie's going, yes, yes, yes. And you want to get those S's. Did he have a sort of... Just shave off the rest of it. Did he have one of those voices that's so... That would have been a bit unfortunate, wouldn't it? I hate to say it, but he kind of did. New teeth? No, I should never say that. Ah, um, interesting. So, plug in for that, not opposite to a DSer. Uh, <laughs> it'll all need EQ in at the end of it. I'm going to have to try and sort of knock that back a little bit. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was. But the mere fact that I could, because Chris was yeah. in the room, both Chris and I looked at each other as if to go, oh, you know, right at this fantastic moment. He's imparting this amazing, amazing wisdom, and we're just like, ah, no, RX. Anyway, so good yes. for you. Well, I will pin them because they're bloody so brilliant. Isotope are getting extra value out of this show. I could say I'll have to invoice them. 
Um, but but anyway, no, that's good to hear. Well, I, I'm I'm looking forward to whatever it is that you can't talk that you talk about, but can't tell us what it is. That, so you're going to love it. I'll tell you. Anyone who's into synths is just going to absolutely, absolutely love this. I'm Press really excited about it. Actually, I've been bird. really burning the candle. Sorry, what did you say, Robbie? Press up a limited edition vinyl of just the bit with the birds and yeah. sell it on eBay. Yeah, a Kickstarter. <laughs> Excellent. I think you're onto something there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, um, can I repeat the competition text, please? All right, then. Uh, the competition text is there. Uh, you have to tweet spectrogram synth, uh, hashtag spectrogram synth, at Sonic Nick, at Isotope Inc. Uh, there you go. I put them in the show notes as well, but uh, it, so it doesn't really matter when you do it. You've got a week, basically, to enter, or roughly in a, a week. Um, so uh, that's it. I think that's oh, it for this God week. And um, thank you very much, very much, guys. Thank you very much, Robbie. Um, I'm guessing you might not be around for a little while if you're going to be on Torio or are you going to be mostly weekending? Well, it's mostly weekends, so yes, I'll probably be around, yeah. Excellent. Well, I did get some news today that uh, Corey Banks, who uh, we met at NAM uh, and has been on a couple, he's the guy from B-Boy Tech Report, is going to be around for a couple of weeks, so uh, we'll have him on next week, I think. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Dave Spears, as well. Lovely to see you once again. It's all too infrequent these days. Much. Thank you very much. And, um, thank you. GeForce software, of course. Don't forget, go and go and buy some of their stuff. It means that Dave can buy yeah. more synths. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, thank you very much. Uh, that's pretty much it for this week. I will hit the fade to black button and then I will stop. Goodbye. <laughs>